Before we begin our Torah study this morning, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai, lehenu melech ha'olam, asher kitsheno b'mitzvotah, v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. One of the greatest callings that we have is to serve the Lord and to also serve people in the name of the Lord. And it takes nothing less, nothing less than love for God and love for people to be able to pull this off. Now, you can try to do it without love, but the scripture teaches us that if we serve without love, then it's empty, it's inauthentic, and accounts for nothing. Our capacity to show love, our capacity to express love is strengthened whenever we experience Hashem's profound love for us. When we receive comfort, for instance, during our times of difficulty, then later we will be able to comfort other people during their time of difficulty. And I wanna emphasize this later because it's not necessarily instantaneous. There are times when we need to receive comfort from the Lord and then it will develop in us and it will become not only useful to us, but useful to other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses four and five speaks of this, and it says, the Lord comforts us in all our troubles, and that enables us to comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Verse five, for just as the Messiah's sufferings overflow into us, so through the Messiah, our encouragement also overflows. So here's the reality. We will have troubles. How many can confirm that? We will have troubles. We will suffer. Messiah's suffering will overflow into us. And that's how Paul described the process. What happened with Messiah will happen to us, but it's all, it, it, it's not all gloom and doom. It doesn't end there because encouragement and comfort also overflow. So when we receive comfort in our days of trouble, that develops in us and then it overflows from us to others. It's especially important to know this when you're in the middle of trouble and you're in the middle of difficulty, you're in the middle of suffering and you don't know how it's going to turn out. And you may feel like the, the suffering and the difficulty is overflowing, and that can be true. But there is a promise beyond that, and that is through Messiah, the comfort and the encouragement and the shalom that God has for you will also overflow. Now, some people have personalities that are more optimistic, and some have personalities that are more pessimistic. You probably know which you are. If you're not sure, you can ask your spouse, they'll tell you. If you're not sure, or if you don't have a spouse, ask your boss, or ask the people who work for you, or ask your teachers, or ask your parents, or ask your brothers and sisters. People know, they do know. What's important is for us to know 
to know that there are times for us when we are challenged to believe that we can be comforted. And yet, the promise that God gives to us is that he will comfort us. So what if you're a hard-to-comfort person? Can God comfort you? Maybe. Nothing's impossible with God, right? <laughs> now, I say maybe because I'm, I'm trying to verbalize what some of you are thinking. Uh, I'm, I can't read your mind, so don't worry about that. Um, but I know the way people think. We hear promises from God, we read the scriptures, and at one level we may know that they're true, but at another level we question them. And often we question when we're in the middle of something because we don't know the beginning and the end. We know where we are. And if you've ever had a long-term medical issue, you, you know what I'm talking about. There are times when you wonder, am I gonna get better? Am I gonna get through this? What will happen? And you just don't know, but you're looking to the Lord. You're looking to the Lord to bring you through. In Isaiah chapter 66, the Haftorah reading for this week, there's a promise of comfort that is beautifully described. And it says to us prophetically that shalom and comfort can overflow even during times of difficulty and trouble. In fact, that's when comfort is needed the most. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 66. We'll look at verses 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, For Adonai says, I will spread shalom over her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried in her arm and cuddled in her lap. I like that translation, cuddled. Verse 13, like someone comforted by his mother. I will comfort you. In Jerusalem, you will be comforted. So here is a promise. It's a promise that God makes. It's a promise that, that he says he will fulfill. He will comfort. And as he promised to Jerusalem, and as he promised to Israel, even though you go through trouble, I will comfort you. I will comfort you. Now, this is not me promising to you. I'm, I'm up here reading this to you. I'm up here declaring this to you. I'm up here receiving this from me, but it's, for, it's the Lord's promise to us. This is what the Lord is promising to do for us. And it helps us focus. Who do we turn to and where do we turn when we need comfort? Yeshua said, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. They will be comforted. There's no need to suppress or to push down the mourning that we have. We express it to the Lord and he comforts us. He will not leave us in the condition of perpetual mourning. That, 
And I'm saying mourning as in that sadness, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Now Philippians chapter three expresses something that's connected to this. Paul is writing and he's asserting something about the desire that he has for his intimate relationship with the Lord in Messiah. And he's expressing something that in part may not be very popular. We'll get to it. I want to know Messiah. How many of us can say that? Yes, I want to know Messiah. I want to have intimate fellowship with Messiah. And the power of his resurrection. Yes, how many are interested in the power of his resurrection? He rose from the dead as a demonstration of his victory over the power of sin and death. Resurrection life. Now here's the part. Here's the part people often either skip over, they don't read, they ignore. It says, I'm gonna make it clear. I wanna know Messiah and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. <laughs> All in favor of cutting out that last phrase? Uh, many people would like, we would think that it doesn't belong. It's like a, a contrary thought. It, it's not necessarily a popular thought. But to know Messiah, to have intimacy with him, is to have intimacy with the real Messiah and what he really has gone through. He really suffered. He really was crucified. He was tortured. He really was treated like a criminal. He really was rejected. He really experienced torture and pain. He's the one we want to know. Or maybe you'd prefer to know a religious ghost of some sort, or an idol, as Cantor Aaron was talking about, something that's a little different, something that's not Messiah. The power of his resurrection. You know, it's good to know the power of his resurrection as long as you recognize that resurrection first means death, and burial, and then resurrection, right? How many people want to go to heaven? All of us, yeah. And you know you can't get there <laughs> without having gone through this world and passing through this world, right? Can't get there another way. This world is the, the gateway to that. And then the fellowship of his sufferings. The intimate relationship with Messiah is precious. The power of his resurrection, the word power in the Greek there is dunamis. Let's say that, dunamis. It's, it's the root word for dynamic and even dynamite comes from the same root. The dynamic power of Yeshua's resurrection. It's not just a theological idea, it has dynamic power. 
and then the fellowship of his sufferings. The, the word for fellowship is koinonia, and it means close, personal fellowship together. Koinonia with Messiah that's connected to his sufferings. He suffered. The price that he paid for you and for me cost him dearly. So when we say, I want to have fellowship with the Lord, I want to grow in my relationship with the Lord, there are aspects of this relationship that are difficult. They're not necessarily pleasant. Do you remember Yeshua on that night of Pesach? He was saying to the Lord, take this cup from me. And then he would say, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. He understood something about what was ahead and he chose to continue down the path that enabled him to become the redeemer for us and to pay the price for us. It cost him dearly. So when we have fellowship with him, it's not a morbid thing, but it is, in fact, a painful thing. There are things that he has gone through that are painful. Here's something that we really can understand if we can grasp this koinonia and this dunamis. We can understand that in all the different seasons of our lives, we can have fellowship with the Lord. Every season, every challenge, every new opportunity. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. And how many of you remember the bird song, turn, turn, turn? Okay, it's a big hit in the 60s, that dates us. If you still like rock and roll, you remember. You might not know, Pete Seeger wrote it. Actually, Ecclesiastes wrote it. Pete Seeger put it to music. The birds made it famous. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to reap, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to laugh, a time to weep. That's a beautiful passage from Ecclesiastes that tells us that there are times and seasons in life and some of them are filled with laughter and some of them are filled with sorrow. But there's purpose in it all. And as we go through the seasons of life, Here's what we need to remember. The promise of Messiah is that he is Emmanuel, God with us. We are not alone. He is with us. There is purpose in all the seasons and the times of life. And we can grow even during the times that are most difficult. You know, it's true in the natural world. Trees, um, strong trees, often need the winter time in order to develop, and they grow their roots in the fall and the winter. The invisible, the hidden parts may grow during the hard seasons. 
And then when do the leaves come out or when do the flowers come out? During spring and summer, right? When it's nice. But we need the times, we need the seasons because there are hidden parts that need to grow and there are visible parts and noticeable parts that need to grow. And often, our souls yearn for the easy part of growth. Sometimes we get it, and sometimes we don't. Well, there's a basic process at work that I just want to be clear about. The mercy and love that is shown to us increases our capacity to show mercy and to show love to other people. So during times of difficulty or challenge or change or opportunity, we may need mercy and love and God shows it to us and when we experience it, you know what happens? Our capacity increases and we can show mercy and love to other people. Now sometimes, sometimes difficulty comes in answer to prayer. I'll give an example. I've prayed with many people who want to have children and we're having difficulty conceiving. And then they conceive and it's beautiful. It's beautiful but it's, it's work for the mother. Nine months to carry. But then, why do they call it labor? Because it is, right? To bring forth is painful. And after you bring forth, then there's a child to raise, right? You don't just get the baby and then, boom, 21 years old, you know? You raise a child. You have to invest in that child and love that child. So the answer to prayer often produces a blessing that comes with a cost. Here's another example. I've prayed with many people, you probably have too, who need a new job. And then they get the answer to prayer and they get the new job. And then it turns out the new job is very demanding. And it's hard, it's hard. And there's stuff they have to learn and, and maybe it's not as easy as they thought or maybe the boss isn't as nice as the one they had before. Or, or maybe the rigors are just so much greater than they imagined. I've also prayed with people who got their new jobs and then they're praying, oh help me, Lord help me. See, sometimes the answers to prayer are good things, but they involve challenge. Sometimes the answers to prayer are new opportunities, but they involve new commitments and new work, new character and new capacity. And so we may need comfort and we may need love, not because the situation is bad, but because it's hard, and it's hard because it's good. Now there's a general principle that's also at work, which we often may think about, 
God can use everything that you go through. This is how the scripture says it. God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He causes all things, all things to work together for good. All things to work together for good. He causes some things. No, he can cause all things, even things that, that aren't good in, of themselves are not good. He can do hafu, he can turn them upside down. He can transform them in order to bring good out of what may have been actually evil or harmful. He can turn something for good. It doesn't make the original thing good, but the way God works, he can transform the outcome and the result. He causes all things, all things. So think of one of the things that you're going through that is challenging and just tell the Lord, I know you mean this. <laughs> you're speaking about this. It's one of the all things. It's something in the all things. It's part of it. Many Messianic rabbis have, have noticed that Messianic congregations are quite diverse and ethnically and racially and economically, educationally, country of origin, demographically, and that diversity is useful to God. It's useful to our countries. It's useful to our movement. And how is it useful? Why is it useful? It's useful because many of us have experienced persecutions or oppression or bigotry or misunderstanding, and that experience can actually help us develop into instruments of comfort and reconciliation and healing. You see, if you've gone through times and seasons where you were misunderstood or mistreated, it's not in vain. It can be useful for your ministry to the Lord and to people. Sometimes we don't recognize how God is working or how he wants to work. We may focus on something else and the Lord is focusing, not on what we're focusing on, but on an entirely different matter. One of the most beautiful aspects of Yeshua's teaching is the way that, that he brings clarity in the midst of controversy, and he often focuses on details that others are ignoring, and he ignores details that other people are focusing on. And a great example of this comes to mind. It's the story about an ongoing argument among Yeshua's disciples about prestige, power, and greatness. The apostle Luke described several different times when the disciples argued with each other about which of them was the greatest. That's, you know, in our religious fantasy, that could only happen one time, Yeshua would settle it, it'd be done, but actually it happened over and over again with the disciples. The Apostle Matthew writes about the ongoing disputes and he focuses on one situation. Matthew 20, starting in verse 20 is where I want to read from. 
It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Yeshua with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. And whenever I read this, I think, look out when the Jewish mothers get involved. It's gonna get complicated. Verse 21, what is it you want? Yeshua asked her. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. The Jewish mother's trying to fix things up. Now notice this, Yeshua hears that, but he turns from the mom and he addresses her sons. Verse 22. It, even the language is, to me, kind of amusing. Yeshua looks at the boys. Now, it's the mother that did the asking, right? But he looks at the boys and says, you don't know what you're asking. So they've had some conversation. The boys are saying, you know, we, we, I want to be on the right. I want to be on the left. I want to be right there with Yeshua. Yeshua says, you don't know what you're asking. Yeshua said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink. We can, they answered. Yeshua said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Verse 24, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. When the 10, you know, so you got 10 plus two, that's the 12, the 12 disciples. They were indignant. You know what that means? They were saying, who do they think they are? Who do they think they are? We ought to be sitting at the right hand or the left. Who do they think they are? Verse 25, Yeshua called them together and said, you know, so he's speaking to the 12, you know that the rulers of the Gentile nations lorded over them and their high officials dominate and try to subordinate them. So Yeshua knows that all of them are wrestling with the same problem, the same wrong thinking is trying to get a hold of them. It's part of the greater cultural issue that they're facing. They're all living in the same world. Now, it's also interesting, Matthew, if you didn't know, was originally written in Hebrew according to the, the best histories and later translated into Greek and Latin. And the Hebrew expresses it with some nuance that's actually interesting. It says, the princes or the ministers of the Gentiles seek to subjugate, which literally means to push you down below them. And the great ones of them are seeking to occupy, it uses a Hebrew word, kovesh, which, which describes a, like an enemy force that's occupying, that's conquering and squeezing out the, the locals. And so it's like a comparison that, that the leaders of Rome and, and the, the Greek kingdoms that had ruled over the Middle East they act like they're benefactors. They act like they're doing good, but in fact they are subordinating and subjugating and they're acting more like occupiers. They're taking somebody else's place. 
They're conquerors. They're pushing the people down below them and they're occupying their territory and place. They're trying to take over and squeeze you out. That's what Yeshua is saying to his disciples. He's saying, you know how they are. Don't be like that. Verse 26, not so with you. That's the corrective. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your servant. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Yeshua is ignoring some of the issues. He's not focusing on personality conflicts. He's not trying to distinguish between who's right and who's wrong. In fact, he sees they all need an attitude adjustment. And in fact, it's in the scriptures because it's not just them. It's us. It's all of us. Everyone who ever tries to follow Yeshua. People everywhere have difficulty. We all do. Having the heart of a servant towards other people. In this week's Torah portion, we read about the Lord's intentions for the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 14 verse 2 says it this way. For you are a people holy to the Lord, your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. That's connected to a thought often expressed in Torah. Um, in Exodus 19, verse 6, for instance. And unto me you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. That's what the Lord said to Moses. So... There's this call to be a holy nation, a call to be a priestly nation, and it's in Torah, it's in the prophets, and it's in the Brit HaRashah. So you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And remember this, Peter is an apostle to the Jewish people. And he develops the same theme. He writes, to the Jewish believers, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession in order to proclaim the virtues of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So here we have the call of the Jewish people. It's the call of Messianic Jews. It's the call of everyone who's joining themselves to Messiah and to the Messianic movement. We are called to proclaim the virtues of God. The proclamation is verbal on one side, it's a declaration, and it's demonstrative on the other side. We embody, we speak the message, we live the message. But foundational to this proclamation is knowing this, that he called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's not just that he needs to call other people out of darkness. He called us out of darkness. If you like the person you're sitting next to, you can admit this to them. He called me out of darkness. He called me out of darkness. He called us out of darkness. That's the truth. He called us. We're proclaiming the virtues of him who called us out of darkness into his light. It's not that we're so good. It's that he's so good. 
That's the message. It was the message of Moses last week and the Torah. It's the message of Peter. It's the message of Yeshua. God gives his love to us because he is so good. It's not because we're so good. But we're still called to be a royal priesthood, a nation that has an assignment. It's a priestly assignment to serve the nations of the world including our own people, by telling them about God's goodness, showing them his virtues, and helping them be reconciled to God. Priests help people be in a right relationship with God and with one another. And Yeshua's disciples were tempted by power and prestige and positions of prominence, but we're called to be servants. We're called to be servants. I want to close with some thoughts about zeal that connect to all of this. There was an important period in ancient Israel's history when King David was ruling and there was an extended famine. King David wasn't sure how to understand the famine. Turned out there was a spiritual issue that needed to be faced. And he prayed and he sought the Lord for an answer and the answer he got was very precise. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 21, starting in verse one. There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it's because of King Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. And so the king, King David, called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. The Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but they were a remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. But Saul, King Saul, had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and for Judah. Now often we think of zeal as being good and useful, but in fact zeal can lead to wrong action. And that was the case here. King Saul was zealous about the wrong things many times. And he took action that was wrong. And it had an impact on other people. It had an impact on the nation. It had an impact for years. Proverbs 19 verse 2 says it this way, zeal without knowledge is not good. Impatience Lacking patience will get you in trouble. If you're too eager, you'll miss the road. You see, we're called. We are called not just to be zealous, but to be patient, and not just to be zealous, but to have knowledge, and we're called as well to seek the Lord in every time and every season and every opportunity and every challenge to receive comfort for him, from him and direction from him so that we know how to proceed. All of this requires that we keep pressing into the Lord. We have to keep asking the Lord, how do you see it and what do you want to do? How do you want to use us? 
Now, if you're in need of comfort or encouragement, just tell the Lord that. Be honest with the Lord. Because he can provide that for each of us. There are times when we're not sure how to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish because our own capacity is inadequate. And that's okay because we can come to the Lord and we can ask for increase in our capacity. You see, if you have times of trouble or difficulty, he can give you comfort, which will then later be useful because you can comfort other people. He can give you shalom that will later be useful because you can take that shalom that you've received and you can spread it. It will overflow from you. He can take the times and seasons, whether they are easy or hard, and he can use them for good. So here's our prayer. Let's pray in agreement. Lord, increase our capacity to love, it's your love that builds us up, Lord. You loved us first. And that's why we can love you. And we can love other people. And we know this, Lord. Our capacity is not enough. We are small in capacity and we yet don't despise our smallness. We humbly come to you, Lord, acknowledging our condition. And we say, help us grow. Help us grow in capacity. Help us grow in the purity of our hearts and our minds and our feelings and our thoughts, in the intentions of our hearts, in the thinking of our hearts. Lord, we need you. We need your righteousness. And we acknowledge this to you today. Lord, we need your forgiveness. We need your healing. We need your comfort. We need your love. And we turn to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. We turn to you, our perfect high priest. We turn to you, our Lord and our redeemer. Give us increase that we might grow in our capacity to serve you and others. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen. So I wanna Bless the Lord with a Hebrew prayer that may be unfamiliar, a little bit unfamiliar. I've been using it uh, for the last few weeks. I want it to become familiar. You can repeat after me. Baruch atah Adonai. Eloheinu melech olam Hatov v'hametiv. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, the good one and the doer of good. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't you stand up? We're going to close with Aaron's blessing, and then we're going to have an oneg afterwards. And if it's your custom to gather with other people and your protocols allow it, then gather. And if you have to keep your distance, you can do that too. I always like it when Cantor Aaron comes up with me. He keeps a little distance. We, we breathe outwardly. He doesn't want to get cooties from me, but, <laughs> but I might give him some. <laughs>
Yivarecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, Ya'er Adonai p'nave lecha v'yichunecha, Yisa Adonai p'nave lecha v'yasem lecha. Shalom. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen.